0: Well, welcome again to the Comic Book Historian Podcast. I'm Alex Grant with my co-host, Jim Thompson. Today, we are joined by film critic Lauren Veneziani, based out of Washington, D.C. She's on TV every Saturday on NBC Baltimore. You can see her at dcfilmgirl.com and on her Twitter and Instagram handle, dcfilmgirl. Lauren and I first met on CGTN America. We talked about the success of Avengers Endgame, and we both kind of looked at the evolution of those movies in a really similar way, which is why I'm excited she could join us today. Lauren, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. Thank you guys for having me on today.
0: Today, we're going to talk about the comic age of movies. Essentially, why are these comic book movies so successful? Why are some not so successful? Jim, as a background, although he is a comic book historian and a divorce lawyer, as he said before on previous podcasts, he's also a film genre professor. So this will be fun to see the two film experts and then me, your humble comic book historian, talking about some of these movies. Now, let's talk a little bit about what makes these movies so successful. And I want to kind of start with the Richard Donner movie, Superman one and two, two was kind of half of it was Richard Lester. Richard Donner said, and Jim knows about this quite a bit, is that he wanted verisimilitude or some level of realism to take the superhero genre seriously and tell a cinematic and dramatic story. And he implemented that into those movies. And maybe that might be the key ingredient in some of these later Marvel movies. First, Jim, what do you have to say about Richard Donner's Superman and how influential was it to this genre of films?
2: Well, it's tremendously influential. I mean, there's no question about that. I mean, that's the one that people today still go back to as one of their favorites of all time. And it's Superman, and that's part of it, is that it was the greatest hero, at least at that point, being done as the greatest superhero movie to that point because none of the others had been very good this one you believe a man could fly it became something where the special effects had finally caught up where they looked reasonably good it was good casting everything about it was perfect and it had marlon brando in it so it had this cultural cachet that none of the others had ever had before
0: Yeah, that's true. And that's interesting. So it was written by Mario Puzo and Marlon Brando was in it. So Lauren, as far as the Godfather films and then the Richard Donner Superman, could this be considered a primal, almost Godfather film to the superhero movies? The Richard Donner film, what do you think?
1: Honestly, I feel like that's like a really good comparison because this is kind of the film that started it all. And I'll be the first to say I'm not You know, when it comes to, like, the 70s and 80s superhero films, I'm certainly, you know, not an expert. I kind of jumped on the bandwagon with Sam Raimi's Spider-Man films, which I know Mm -hmm. we're going to get to later in the podcast. But Mm -hmm. I definitely think it's a good comparison because, like I said, it is something that kind of started all of the superhero films. And I think that people, you know, still kind of like, that's like a classic film, like a fun film for them that they'll just pop on on a Saturday and and watch it. But it's not a film that I feel like a lot of like the younger generation today is probably, you know... Too aware
0: of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I would say that it's true. Although I kind of made my son watch it, it wasn't <laughs> like the first thing he asked for, that's for sure. Yeah. But yeah. maybe from a filmmaking perspective, it has some effects. So, you know, one thing I do like about it is it really uses music, like the Godfather films, it uses music... The visuals, the close-up of the actors' faces, the drama of the performance treats the superhero genre seriously. And I feel like when you look at, let's say, a close-up of Marlon Brando talking about the destruction of Krypton, then you look at some of the close-ups in the current movies like Avengers Endgame and the close-up of Robert Downey Jr. snapping his fingers to end the threat of Thanos. These are serious cinematographic moments that I think resonates with viewers. What do you guys think about the effect of that older movie on some of the current movies?
2: Well, Marlon Brando is literally God in that movie. And so there's that. I mean, what Superman does is it takes Superman... Basically, away from the Jews and gives it to the Christians in terms of mythology. And that's a big moment where instead of Superman being Moses and being that earlier version, he becomes Christ in this in a very heavy handed way in a lot of ways. And what you would expect from Puzo and the backers of the film and so forth. But this is about the son of God being sent down and representing the dying for the sins to some degree, but being raised by others, but is still the son of God. And so it's fun because... For film fans, Brando is kind of a god, and there he is actually being god there. And you have the Twilight, the Phantom Zone villains being basically Satan and the temptation and all of that. It's all there in those films. And I don't know that everybody's watching it and thinking that, but it's there in the subconscious. So it's a big film. Mm -hmm. in that context
0: okay something i want to fast forward to because i want to go through a good number of different compartments of these movies is uh, tim burton's batman 1989 now some people think that it essentially saved batman for the film medium because of the campiness of the adam west shows how do you guys feel as far as tim burton's batman did it further the art form of superheroes in movies what do you guys think of that film
1: I mean, Tim Burton is one of my favorite directors of all time. Probably my favorite movie that he's ever done directing wise is Sleepy Hollow, which I absolutely mm-hmm. adore. But when it comes mm-hmm. to Batman, like you said, with the campiness of Adam West stuff, I mean, I know that's something that, you know, my dad really enjoyed, like watching right. on TV and everything. But I think right. when that film was released, I think just everybody was shocked and just blown away with mm-hmm. how good it was. And I mean, To this day, Michael Keaton, like, that is, like, a career best performance. You can't think of Michael Keaton and not think of Batman. And I think, like, that is a massive testament to what Tim Burton created. And, like, he's, I think, that one director that definitely has a certain style. And that dark style literally worked so perfectly for this particular superhero.
0: Yeah, what do you think, Jim? What do you think about the Michael Keaton Batman, Tim Burton style of that movie?
2: I have a question in terms of that. I always thought Batman Returns is more of a Tim Burton movie than Batman is between the two. And I'm a big Burton fan, too. Mm -hmm. And based upon that fanness, I really like the second film. And I think Michelle Pfeiffer is just the best Catwoman Mm -hmm. ever in terms of how that's done. So I know a lot of people were disappointed in the second film. They thought it was copying too much Fellini and that kind of stuff in a cheap way. I love that film. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I love Batman Returns. I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer, I mean, like, I would die to have that Catwoman suit for Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) It was was a game changer Uh, costume. Yeah, and I mean, like, Danny DeVito is obviously great in it. I mean, honestly, I know, like, there are individual films, but when I think of Tim Burton's Batman, I always think of both of those films kind of like a package deal. Yeah,
0: I do too, yeah
1: it's hard to even like differentiate the two of them. Cause I'm like Tim Burton's Batman. Like I just automatically think of the both of them. Right. Yeah, I, I yeah.
2: will say Alex, in terms of Batman, even more than Superman, there's always two things, whether the actor does a good Batman and whether an actor does a good Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And I think that in different Batman movies, actors will get one, but not quite the other. And I think, for me, Keaton was one of the most interesting Bruce Wayne's. I don't know if I ever bought him in the Batman voice and the Batman suit quite as much as I did as being kind of. A really distant, weird, traumatized Bruce Wayne that I just love. And the way that he wears the Wayne Manor surroundings, scenes in front of that giant fireplace and things like that, and his chemistry with Michelle Pfeiffer and with Alfred and everything. I love him in that. But he's also just the best superhero actor of all time because between that his villain role as the vulture which was way underappreciated that was fantastic oh and spider-man yeah yeah, yeah and birdman so he's yes. done three superhero sort of films that's quite an accomplishment i can't think of anybody that's had that triple success
1: yeah. i mean i'm doing, I don't doing know. three different
2: you, characters yeah
1: Yeah, and I mean, like, that's always the point. Like, that's the age-old debate with all of these Batman films that are coming out, and it's something that my husband and I talk about all the time. Who's a really good Bruce Wayne and who's, like, a good Batman? I think Keaton does a pretty good balance of both. I'm one of the only critics that actually really loved Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne specifically, because I thought that he actually got some time with Bruce Wayne, maybe even more so than... Christian Bale did even throughout all three of his films. I just really love Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne moments in particular, especially with Batman versus Superman Uh at the very beginning. So, I mean, I think Keaton does a good job balancing both, but clearly he set the bar high for anyone to play Batman or any lead in any superhero movie. I mean, going back a little bit, I would love to speak to the Russo brothers and see if they pulled anything for their Avengers films from any of Burton's films or anything else, because, I mean, it's certainly something that you have to look at, I feel like, if you're going to be making a recent superhero film, for sure.
0: Oh, yeah. The concept of when the character's still wearing their costume, but mm-hmm. their mask is off at the right. same time. Tony Stark had that in that final scene in Avengers Endgame, but so did Michael Keaton at the end mm-hmm. of Batman Returns when they were in the sewer. His mask was off, but he was still in costume. And being able to pull that off to still have the costume, but then the mask is off and they're acting. I try to bring parallels to the modern stuff with these because I feel like these are interesting parallels or symmetries that these modern filmmakers are pulling some of those things, you know? Mm.
2: Yeah, for sure. Let me tell you one difference, and it's about the assessment of these early films like Superman and Batman, and it's that they don't have the cultural cachet, partly because in both cases— they're ruined by the subsequent films that diminish the reputation of the entire series of films. And that hasn't happened to Marvel. Marvel has that run where nothing has hurt it, has dishonored it. Whereas once you get the non-Burton Batman series of and the those films. Stuff, yeah. in the same chain, it becomes they're all bad in their minds to some degree. Same thing with Superman, although it still had Reeve. It didn't matter because Quest for Peace or the third one with Richard Pryor, they're just almost unwatchable, and you have that association of them as a series. So it really does hurt them, whereas Marvel doesn't do that because they don't make those mistakes right.
0: so far. And- And that's what was going to lead me to there's almost like this superhero genre fatigue that happens. And I think that happened in the 80s with Superman. And I also think that happened in the 90s with the Batman films. And then people kind of got sick of that genre. And that leads us to 1998 film Blade. Why was this movie successful? And my guess is because they didn't treat it as a campy, silly thing, kind of like the last two Batman movies. They didn't get into weird, exotic outfits. They kind of made it like a ninja vampire killer and the audiences reacted well. And that seemed to be a gateway to the 2000s. So tell us what you guys think about Blade. Did Blade basically convince movie execs, let's make more comic book movies?
1: I mean, maybe. My husband and I love this movie. We love Wesley Snipes so much in this. We watched it, I think, like a couple of months ago, and I hadn't seen it in like a really long time. And I think, honestly, I feel like obviously a lot of people were excited about Blade because like they really wanted to see this character come to life. And I think part of the reason the movie is just like so memorable is because of Wesley Snipes as Blade. He just like really kills it. And It's violent in a way that I feel like is true to the comic books, but also makes it just, like, fun to watch. And, like, the action scenes are just incredible. So I think that it was well done. And Wesley Snipes is amazing in it. And I think, like, people were just really excited to see this come on screen, and it ended up just working really well.
2: I think Blade teaches Marvel a real lesson down the line decades later which is superhero films as straight superhero films aren't that interesting that you have to have just like a lot of science fiction films you have to marry it hybrid it with something else that's why a lot of science fiction films like alien is a science fiction horror film aliens is a science fiction war film Alien 3 is a science fiction prison movie. You know, you have some other thing besides that. With superhero films, Superman is a straight superhero film, and that's okay with the Origins. But after that, it gets a little bit one note. Look at what Marvel has done with the... John Hughes, Spider-Man, teen romp movie, with Ant-Man, heist, comedy, heist movie. It always has a secondary, whether it's fantasy with the Thor movies or something else with Captain America, the first one, having that combat stage to it. There's always a secondary genre. Blade is the one that started that, that really was the lead in saying, we're going to do A comic book movie, but it's also going to have half horror elements to it, and that brings in a wider audience. And I think that was really smart, and I think that's a model that DC doesn't quite understand in the same way, but Marvel took it and has basically followed it up to this time
0: then this leads to the next one so we have this verisimilitude ingredient and now we're introducing a subgenre adding a second genre to these movies so let's talk about the 2000 x-men film by brian singer and this movie did really well it was a first real successful blockbuster team superhero movie what was your guys's impression of the first x-men film how do you guys think that affected the following movies that came after
1: I mean, X-Men, this is like the film when I was just going in from middle school to high school and I went to go see it with my friends and I was like, wow, I'm really into X-Men now because this movie is so good and Hugh Jackman is the best Wolverine ever. So I probably went to go see this, I don't even know, like two or three times in theaters. And this was like a massive deal for... Marvel because the movie was uh, excellent. The cast was great. I mean, it literally drew people to these characters who had not known this story before, like me. I grew up on Archie and like Betty and Veronica comics. So.
0: Yeah, that's cool. <laughs>
1: And because I'm always the first to say, yes, I love comic book movies, but I'm not a huge comic book nerd unless it's Archie, Betty, and Veronica Riverdale. So that's why I feel like this movie just kind of blew it out of the water because it interested so many people into this world. And, you know, Patrick Stewart and Jackman, Ian McKellen, Fomke Jansen, James Marsden, a Cyclops, everybody in this movie just worked so well together. And it was just really interesting to see. Magneto and Professor X kind of spar against each other and get Magneto's backstory. And I mean, this was definitely one of the biggest superhero movies, I think, to draw audiences to get excited about movies like this for the future.
0: Yeah. Jim, what'd you think of X-Men?
2: I don't think any film up until that time had ever gotten a single casting thing role better or more perfect than what Hugh Jackman was for Wolverine. I mean, it was like he jumped out of the comics page and clawed me. And it was great. I mean, I wanted to be clawed. It was fantastic. And then it had these actors. I mean, Patrick Stewart, it's brilliant casting because it's like, wow, you've got people that you know I'm aware of in other ways mm-hmm. and it was just great I mean the film itself has some problems in the last act and I don't think it's a flawless film but the casting alone in some of the moments some of the characters are woefully neglected like Storm doesn't get what she should get yeah not in this one but it doesn't matter because it has Professor X and Wolverine and Magneto are just everything you could dream of. To me, it was the first time where I was like, this feels like the comic that I was reading. Like, I appreciated Superman and Batman, but it was like a movie version. This was like, my comic version was right there in front of me, and it was the first time for me that I remember that.
1: Obviously, Hugh Jackman kills it, and he's clearly, like... One of the most memorable characters in this particular movie, and I love the sequences between him and Rogue, Anna Paquin. Like, I just like could always relate myself to Rogue because just at the age I was in, just watching her, I was like, I want Wolverine and Logan to like adopt me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that Trail. was like, was fun for me at that time, going from middle school to high school. So, but yeah, as an overall movie, I definitely think that you know it's not a perfect movie i think that x2 is probably a better movie overall yeah
0: sure. i think so too yeah,
1: yeah. that, that I, first
2: I, five minutes of x-men 2 with the introduction of nightcrawler oh that just I, oh i could just watch that just to get over pain or something it, it's like <laughs> a it, it, it's like an anesthetic it just relaxes yeah. it's so good
0: it gets you through like an appendix surgery for oh example. yeah
2: much better than morphine
0: yeah. And
1: is it the scene in X2 where Mystique, she gives that security guy like the iron shot and Magneto's like, there's too much iron in your blood? Yeah, yeah. And That yeah. scene is so brutal. I watched that and my jaw dropped. I mean, that scene, <laughs> like Magneto is such a crazy character and... I mean, I love Michael Fassbender as him so much because Fassbender's my favorite actor working today. And I know we'll get into those other films later. But I mean, just like that was an initial brutal Magneto moment on screen. I feel like Fassbender went back and watched that and was like, how can I be like this brutal when I do my portrayal of Magneto?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. One thing I did like hasn't been mentioned yet. And I loved it from the early 80s comics. But there's a love triangle between Cyclops Jean Grey and Wolverine and I just felt like the actors they got for that love triangle it was just the perfect interactions that it did feel like the comic book to me There was some inertia buildup from Blade and X-Men, and I think people finally, after a lot of legal wranglings, were able to get the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies put Mm. together. I thought that was huge. I love Tobey Maguire personally. I think he still might be my favorite Spider-Man, but maybe because he hit me at that particular age, I'm not really sure. But what do you guys think about the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies? Did they take what was good about Blade and X-Men and essentially add more to that genre to make the Marvel movies possible? What do you guys think of three of them? Let's talk yeah. about them as a trilogy.
2: They're a pretty flawed trilogy because the third one is awful. You know, okay. even though that's made by Raimi, usually you have to wait for the second tier bad director to come on before it becomes the series becomes awful. But uh-huh. that last one with the emo Peter Parker yeah, and stuff is just yeah. that was just horrible. Yeah. And it well, says it's the, the flaw. <laughs> it's a flaw in the flaw superhero films when they bring in too many villains and they don't have confidence. They've used the best villain in one and in two, and they bring in three villains instead, and it's yeah. or whatever. And it was just a mess of a movie.
0: Okay, now here's something I've heard is that in Spider Man 3, they actually had footage of him being corrupted by the Venom suit and being overly brutal to street criminals. And then evidently it was felt to be not kid-friendly enough so that they did that emo thing instead. But there was one scene where he's showing photos to J. Jonah Jameson, and you can see a little bit of a brutality in some of those photos. From what I've understood is that there was a studio decision to make it more kid-friendly, and hence that emo Peter Parker happened. If that was not there, and they kept a brutal black costume Spider-Man, would that have made it a better movie?
1: I mean, maybe. And it's weird. It's like whenever somebody mentions the Sam Raimi trilogy, I know that people are like, oh, Spider Man 2 is one of the best superhero yeah. movies ever right. made. And like, I mean, it's amazing. But my personal favorite is the first one because like I just love the introduction of the characters to the audience. And Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst are just so good together and they have such great chemistry. You know, like, I still love James Franco as an actor, and I think that he did a great job as Harry Osborne. And, again, that kind of love triangle is really played throughout the trilogy, and I thought that was really effective. I always love a good love triangle. And then Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin is, you know, iconic. He's, you know, one of the best actors working And I think that what Jim said about introducing all of the great villains like Doc Ock and Green Goblin and then in the third one, you know, it's not as good. I mean, that definitely could have been maybe a little bit better. I mean, it was weird to introduce Gwen Stacy in the third one, too, considering he was Peter Parker's first love interest in the comic books. I guess they decided to do something different and that's fine. But I mean, I think Tobey Maguire is iconic. I mean, when I was watching these movies... In high school, I was like obsessed and like going to the theater all the time to see it. But I mean, clearly, like Toby does not look like he's in high school. <laughs> but I mean, like that honestly didn't bother me because looking back, I'm like, wow, like clearly none of these actors like could look like they're in high school. And I think that's why so many people love the Tom Holland version is, oh, this is like the Spider-Man that we, you know, have been hoping for for a long time. But I mean, Toby, I think that's still Toby's most iconic role to date. Yeah. For-
0: oh, yeah, for sure. I did like Spider-Man 2 The best but one thing i do like about spider-man one is they get him into college and then out working like within 50 minutes and they really don't focus on high school so much and even in the comic he wasn't even in high school that long he went to college and he was there for a while and then he was in the workforce for a really long time i like college spider-man i i'm not really a big fan of high school spider-man and that might be why i'm having a hard time connecting with some of the more modern spider-man movies
2: i like the new ones a lot they're my favorites i think spider-man 2 is the best Spider-Man movie done because of Doc Ock and the visuals and because with that one like Tim Burton with Batman Returns that's a Sam Raimi movie more than the Spider-Man is. The second Spider-Man is where his horror chops really come out. That scene with Doctor Octopus's arms killing everybody is so scary. And he gets to do that in that one. And that's what I love about that film. But in terms of the Peter Parker character, I really like the age that Holland is. Whereas I thought by three, the actors were looking not just like older, but they were looking tired. You know, I mean, there had been a fair amount of bad behavior and drug use and things. They just looked physically a little bit burned out by that point to me.
0: Yeah. I thought it was because Harry Osborn was, like, talking in the mirror for too long. Yeah and, was, yeah, and he needed, like, to eat a meal or something.
2: What's really sad is that Sandman portrayal is one of the best, again, comics to screen. That was Sandman. I mean, boy, did yeah. he, he just killed that character. And finally, the special effects were up to that task. And that was a complicated, hard thing to do, is the Sandman character, visually. And they got it. Yeah. But the rest of the movie is, is that was, horrible. was
1: like probably one of the, yeah, right. I mean, like, that was definitely a great portrayal in the movie for sure. When it comes to the recent Spider Man films, I'm one of those people that love Tom Holland as the character, but I have not loved either movie overall. I think I gave like each movie like a three and a half out of five. I can't even tell you what it is. It's just something about the movie overall that just doesn't like, Grip me, Even like how Spider-Man, you know, one and two did Sam Raimi's versions. And I'll continue to say, like, I'm probably the only film critic that loves the amazing Spider-Man films with Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone. Because I'm going to do that girl thing and say there's literally, show me a superhero movie that where two actors have better chemistry than Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone. And Amazing Spider-Man 2, her death scene. Like, I actually don't understand the hate for that movie because... It was just like the comic books. And I'm like, I thought it was so dumb. But I could go on about that for another 30
0: minutes. I agree, actually. I felt like the love story of the Andrew Garfield movies made me feel the magic of the Peter Gwen relationship from the comic. And when she died and how he really thought he saved her and didn't and how horrified he was. So Jerry Conway put that in the comics in 1973. And yeah, it was kind of a harsh storyline, the way her neck cracked. But the way they put that in the film, it was like perfectly portrayed.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, that's the main thing that why I love those movies so much is the romantic chemistry between Peter Uh, and Glenn, So good.
2: I don't need to hear (laughs) anything about those movies.
1: It popped out. That's a great time for you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Jim hates those movies. I totally Uh, get it. Let's talk a little bit about a couple of the superhero bandwagon movies. We don't want to spend too much time on these, but Mm -hmm. Ang Lee's Hulk and then the Fantastic Four movies. What do you guys think was lacking from those movies? Jim mentioned before that it was a great director, but not a great movie for the Hulk. One thing I do like about it is they portray him as being an abused kid Mm -hmm. and a lot of the torment about that going into becoming Hulk. So I thought that part was good, but it was a lacking movie in a lot of ways. What do you guys think?
1: Yeah, I mean, Ang Lee is a great director, obviously, and I love Jennifer Connelly as well, Sam Elliott. This is a movie that I haven't seen in a long time. I mean, it has like a great cast and everything. I'm not really sure why this one, I mean, it was long. I think it was over two hours and that might have turned some people off. But I mean, you have a great cast. I don't really know what happened in regards to like audiences not really liking it, except for maybe just... The length of it was just maybe too long and not as gripping as it should have been for audiences.
2: Right. What
0: do you think, Jim?
1: right. Two things. One, there's a certain
2: amount of origin fatigue because you had Mm X-Men and then you had Spider-Man origin movies wear you out. And if you have a series of them, you get tired of it. Marvel, again, learn from that. And doesn't always launch into, I mean, the smartest thing they did about Spider-Man Homecoming was not doing an origin. They've noted that. And I think that's really good and important. And by the time you got to the Hulk origin, you'd already had some of the others. And I think there was a little bit tired of it. The special effects weren't exactly right, but mostly what I like, and I'll take exception, I like it a lot more than, you know, like I know a lot of people don't and it's held in low regard. What I love about it is Ang Lee's ambition to using comic book storytelling devices in the film and making it look like a comic book movie all of that jumping from panel to panel the split panels some of the other special effects it's like reading watchmen in terms of seeing the transitional scenes are done visually in a different way that hadn't been done i think it confused people because that's not what they were looking for they just wanted to see The Hulk, like they'd seen Mm -hmm. on TV, I mean, they wanted a straight story. And instead, it's using complicated storytelling devices the same way that American Splendor, one of the best comic book movies ever did, all but using word balloons and things. It's really complicated, and that's what I love about it. What I hate about it is gamma-radiated poodles, which I think is really (laughs) stupid. Those dogs just kill me. You know, so it's a, it's kind of a dumb movie in a lot of ways, but all the energy was in trying to make it look like a comic book, and no film has done any better than that, I mean, at that time. It was a real groundbreaker. And as
0: far as medium storytelling, that's an interesting take on it. What do you guys think of the Fantastic Four movies? The two from not, 2005.
2: Not, the Cor- not leaving out Corman's movie and yeah, starting at yeah. the, right, the right. other two.
0: I like the actors, but I, and I like the thing. Chris Evans is the torch and the torch thing relationship and they're fighting with each other was perfect. Mm-hmm. But everything else, Doctor Doom, I think was a misfire. I feel like story-wise... It got a little weird with that. I think tried to pull from the ultimate Fantastic Four instead of the traditional one.
1: Yeah, I mean, like Jessica Alba as, you know, Sue Storm, Invisible Girl, and Chris Evans. It's so funny to me because, like, Chris Evans is so clearly Captain America. Right. And then, oh, wow, like he did play Johnny Storm in these two Fantastic Four films that people just kind of forgot about. Clearly, they are way better than the recent Fantastic Four film we got with Miles Teller, which is one yeah. of the movies I've ever seen. And I generally (laughs) like most movies. So, I mean, these were just kind of like fun films. They're just not up to par from what we've gotten recently. But I mean, they were fun films to, you know, like see with a group of friends in the theater. I mean, yes, they're certainly not perfect. And there were some missed opportunities here and there. But I think that like, you know, the casting and all was pretty spot on for a lot of the characters. Mm -hmm, mm
2: -hmm. What'd you think, Jim? I can't watch them. I mean, I almost shouldn't even have a conversation about it because I turn them on, I watch for 10 minutes, and then... I go do something. I can't stand those movies, but it's not because the movies are bad. It's because the Fantastic Four is so good. I love that more than any other comics in a lot of ways that Jack Kirby, Stan Lee run. And I don't get any of that in these movies. So I can't, you know, like with most of the Spider-Man movies, I can find Ditko squatting in the corner somewhere. He's there. Mm -hmm. And and Romita is there and there. I recognize my friends. And I get that in Doctor Strange. Ditko's all over the place. And that makes me happy. But not in the Fantastic Four movies. I I don't recognize them. So why let them in when I don't know who they are?
1: I mean, those two Fantastic Four movies, I'm pretty sure I have them in my, you know, 1100 Blu-ray collection downstairs. But, like, I won't ever probably pop them in again because there's just so many other good superhero movies I would rather watch on like a Friday or Saturday. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that's just the, like, there's not really anything like super duper wrong with them, in my opinion. Like, they're fun, but we have so many more better things that have come out since then, and I would just rather watch Chris Evans as Captain America.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me too. yeah me too. I mean, they're not, you know, Reed Richards doesn't break anybody's neck and we don't see Sue Storm's father abuse or anything. It doesn't ruin it the way that Man of Steel does for me, which we'll get to eventually, I suppose. But it's just not there. Right. Uh, it's not the Fantastic Four. I don't know. The question I would have is, can anyone do A fantastic four movie because they are such a creation of the space race and of that of the 60s yeah and i've read people suggest that do it as a period piece because the relationship between reed and sue it's hard to figure out how to do that in a modernized way i want to kind of compositely discuss these four
0: alan moore comic book adaptations we have the johnny depp film from 2001 from hell directed by the Hughes brothers. We have 2003's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. We have 2005's V for Vendetta, which I could watch over and over again. Mm -hmm. And then we have the 2009 Watchmen film. So let's talk about those four. They're not the superhero genre, technically speaking, although Watchmen is a deconstruction of it. Lauren, how do you feel about these movies in general or individually? What's your take on these movies?
1: So From Hell and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, I probably haven't seen those movies in a long time, but I do remember them coming out and then being, oh, this is kind of like a different take on like the sci-fi fantasy type thing with, you know, like the comic book twist. But I mean, The Watchmen is... One of my favorite superhero movies ever because I'm like I want more R-rated superhero movies yeah. and when The Boys came out on Amazon Prime that show that I'm like finally like another R-rated superhero yeah, story I Watch like that reminds yeah. me of The Watchmen because I'm like all of what these superheroes do is very violent and they don't actually end up like showing a lot of blood and gore and this world is very violent and that's what. I appreciated about The Watchmen for sure. I don't really understand why... A lot of people didn't really love that either, unless they were just like, oh, I just want my PG 13 superhero movie, and this is too R rated and like too disgusting for me or whatever. Right. But I mean, obviously, I think all the actors are phenomenal in it too.
0: I personally liked it. Jim feels differently, and he's going to tell us that. It. It. He hates it. I didn't but but- that?
2: the thing about it is, <laughs> let me ask you a question with all respect. You're not really a comic book reader. Have you read any of those Alan Moore books?
1: No, I am not a comic book reader. I'm just judging it as like... As a a, film. As just a film, yeah. Right, exactly. So we're coming from two
2: totally different places. Yeah. So what you're looking at is looking at it as a virgin. I mean, you have no experience at all with Watchmen. So your version of it, I'm not saying it's less valid at all. It's, it's, you're looking at it... And you referenced it in terms of what people would think about it in terms of a general audience, not why comic book readers would either like it or not like it, because they're going to have a entirely different criteria. In right. fact, people who read and eat and drink superheroes all the time are going to look at it differently than somebody who only sees the movies so it's it's really we're coming from two totally different spaces which is really interesting alex and that's the thing we want to keep track
0: i like lauren's approach in that she's coming as a film person purely i like getting that viewpoint i think it's great
1: but like what is it with watchmen why people who read the comic books or comic book readers in general is that the overall consensus for the movie that people who read the comic books didn't like it or was it kind of half and half
2: Well, I don't want to say it and then insult Alex by saying it that way, but I'm going to say it anyway. (laughs) Because I I love the movie. I think it is so disrespectful to what Alan Moore is doing because it is a straight adaptation and therefore it's ruining all of what he was trying to do about it. What I mean by that is Alan Moore is deconstructing both the form of superhero comics and the characters of superhero comics. And what this does is it honors it in a different way. It's like Alan Moore's superheroes aren't especially good fighters they just fight dirty they can't actually beat a whole bunch of people in in a scene in Watchmen where they're mugged where Silk Spectre and Night Owl are mugged in their civvy outfits they kick them in the balls they stick fingernails in eyes and they win in Watchmen what Snyder does is he has each of those characters able to beat the hell out of 10 people each. I mean, they take on and beat the whole prison, basically. That's what Alan Moore was getting away from, and Snyder doesn't understand it, in my mind. This is a superhero film with people that seem to all have superpowers, and that's not what Watchmen the comic was. Alex, that'd be my problem with that. The other thing is, If you were going to make a successful Watchmen film, what I think you should do is deconstruct what superhero films are, like a Godard, to do this film. You needed somebody smart that understood film and deconstructed and played with it the way that Gibbons and Moore do with the strip itself with the comic where every panel it's done to segue into something else to notice how that art form works I'd like to have seen that with Watchmen I think there was an opportunity to do something sophisticated and they did something straightforward and frankly juvenile the other thing is And this is a problem with both the comic and the movie, but especially with the movie. When you turn Rorschach into the most interesting hero in the film, that goes against the criticism of that character and that mindset that Moore was trying to do. Instead, he becomes the one that we're caught with. And I think that's problematic, too. It's not as much of a travesty as V for Vendetta is. The other respectable... Film That one, the director doesn't understand what anarchy is, as a political concept, as a theory. And so he just butchers it. So Alan Moore, his grievances with these movies are because they take his ideas and they subvert them into the opposite of what he was trying to say in his book. So it's not like it's just a flawed adaptation. It's a reversal of his ideas and it becomes (laughs) what most people like you think, you know, oh, I know what Watchmen is. I know what V for Vendetta is. And it's the very opposite of uh, Mm -hmm. Ethereal intent
1: let's see how Damon Lindelof's version of the series is going to be that. I think it comes out what next month. So that'll yeah, be interesting.
2: Yeah. HBO.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm excited yeah. about that because it's going to be, exactly not what
2: Alan Moore is. You know, there's not going to be, (laughs) everyone's going to know that going in. So it might be interesting. It might be terrible.
0: Because it's uh, actually an original storyline. So in a way, he'll get a pass in that sense. But I liked it because of the different ages of comics when it comes to like the golden age superheroes and like silver age kind of sci-fi and then the modern, almost brutal age of heroes. I feel like the Watchmen movie portrayed those three ages, went with the music in a way that, was real favorable to me as a concept. The only thing reason why I didn't like it is because at the end they had Dr. Manhattan pretend to kill everybody when in the comic it was like some manufactured space squid and I really wanted to see the space squid I was upset they left out the space squid so that's (laughs) the only reason why I didn't like it so my reasons are a little less complex but no I did like how the three different ages were shown I like the idea of the golden age having this idealism with that times are a changing song and showing them and then what becomes of them and all that idealism so I felt like it was good in that sense. Now, let's talk about the Christopher Nolan movies. Batman Begins, 2005, Dark Knight, 2008, and then Dark Knight Rises, 2012. What did these movies do, and why did they feel so different from the Tim Burton films? Genre-wise and visually, it just felt completely different from the Burton movies. Why were these movies successful, and how did they resonate with you both?
1: I think the main reason why these movies did so well in theaters and did so critically well and also just to like with comic book fans and just fan of seeing Batman in movies and that's because of Chris Nolan. I think that Christopher Nolan, who's the director, went in and was like I'm going to make this story and he wasn't necessarily looking at it like a superhero story. I mean Christian Bale is phenomenal of course but I just really like equate it all to Christopher Nolan's direction. He's one of the best directors of all time and I'm one of those people that actually actually doesn't get tired of origin stories. So I loved Batman Begins. I know everyone kind of puts the Dark Knight as the best in the trilogy, but I loved Batman Begins and I loved seeing young Bruce Wayne in that film in particular. And I think that Christian Bale does do a great job as Bruce Wayne. I don't necessarily love his Batman voice in some of the scenes, but I mean, I wish that Katie Holmes could have continued on to play Rachel in the sequel. That was like a bummer for me, even though I love Maggie Gyllenhaal. I just wish that she could have continued on because I thought she was so great. And again,
0: If she stayed, I think her death would have felt more emotionally impactful for me. Right.
1: Yeah. And I mean, like that scene, it ended up working enough because, you know, Harvey Dent was introduced in Dark Knight and like you had the two of them both being kind of like reintroduced together in that sequel. But yeah, I mean, I definitely think it would have weighed heavily. And I love Killian Murphy in the first one as well. When Anne Hathaway was cast as Catwoman, I didn't particularly like that in Dark Knight Rises like originally. But I mean, I was like blown away with her performance. And I don't think she tried to recreate anything Michelle Pfeiffer did. She kind of made it her own. And I ended up just like really enjoying the trilogy overall.
0: I felt like the way she portrayed Catwoman and their tension with each other, it did feel like a little continuation of the Adam West-Julie Newmar relationship. I felt Mm -hmm. like there was some overlap there. Jim, tell us your take on the Christopher Nolan movies. We did a podcast once and Jim discussed the Dark Knight film and its relevance to 9-11 with the Twin Towers. So Jim has an interesting take on that. But Jim, tell us about what you feel on the entire trilogy as well as what you feel is pertinent about the three films individually.
2: Well, I think what's interesting about the film's is the social awareness of them. And yeah, the Dark Knight with the 9-11 connections is the strongest one It's in terms of that. But the third one is the Occupy Wall Street movie. And so it carries over. I mean, he's doing a trilogy that really is about events of the time. And I love that third one more than most people because of that bringing in the notion of Catwoman portrayed as Breakfast at Tiffany's because that's the model that she's using is that character and that actress. And I think that that's really interesting. They're solid films that unfortunately, I think they taught a, a different lesson to DC that was very destructive. And that's, to downplay certain of the aspects almost like you're kind of embarrassed by some parts of the superhero mythos and they managed to do it perfectly but the lesson learned was what Snyder brought to the superman movies which is to make them dark to kind of gloss over the parts you're embarrassed about those kinds of things but the nolan films i think are perfect i like them an awful lot and like i said they have this social relevance The destruction of society by Bane playing the have-nots against the haves in the way it almost does it in a Dickens kind of a way. And there's a lot of allusions to Tale of Two Cities in that film. They're very intellectual films in a lot of ways. There's a lot of literary allusions. There's a lot of film allusions. They're very, very smart films and worthy of, like, a lot of thought and a lot of study. And that's what I would say about that.
1: Yeah.
0: Each one does kind of marry the Batman story with different genres, right? Because the first one had that Eastern Tibet journey story that uh, you see in a lot of different comics. It's interesting that they put that in Batman, almost like Doctor Strange's origin. The Green Llama, like they go to Tibet and you come back, change. I thought that was kind of a funny little addition to Batman Begins. Dark Knight Joker, you know, Heath Ledger, I guess we're going to have that new Joker movie to see soon, Walking Phoenix, and we'll <laughs> see, but Heath Ledger is a tough act to follow. Dark Knight Rises, I loved it as a film. I like how Ra'al Ghul's daughter was part of the storyline. I felt like Tom Hardy's voice just distracted me in this weird way where it almost kind of kept taking me out of the movie, where it's hard for me to get as involved as I'd like to be. So I liked all three films, the portrayal of the No Man's Land story arc and putting it in the Dark Knight Rises with Gotham isolated away from the rest of the country. You know, it's interesting. Let's talk about these two Superman films. Superman Returns, 2006, Brian Singer's movie, which was almost like a continuing storyline of the Donner movies. And then the Man of Steel movie with Zack Snyder. What do you guys feel of these two Superman movies? You know, I feel like they missed the mark on Superman to some degree.
1: I mean, the 2006 one was with Brandon Routh, right? And right. played Superman. Yeah, I mean, and then what, Kate Bosworth, I think. Right, <laughs> right. As yeah. Lois as planned. yep. Yeah. So I the mean, the
2: worst, slowest lane.
1: Yeah. I mean, like that one is like when it's on TV, I'm like, Meh. I'm like, I'm not going to lie. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like one of those where it's just totally forgettable. Sometimes I like completely forget that that movie even existed, even though I think that Brandon physically was a good role, was a good actor for Clark Kent and Superman. But I just remember it being kind of boring, Right. Which, like, Can you make Superman boring? (laughs) But Man of Steel, I love. And I'm a Zack Snyder fan over here, clearly. Um, I know a lot of people didn't like the end, but like I love that movie because the scene with him and Henry Cavill and Kevin Costner... When he trusts his father so much that he lets his father die because he his father said it wasn't the right time to show him to the world. I just like that just like breaks my heart every time. Right. I love Diane Lane in the movie. I mean, I can't think of Superman and not think of Henry Cavill. That's how much I just love him. In the role. Oh, I'm sorry. That's like I (laughs) wouldn't send you a fruit basket now. (laughs) I'm hoping that Henry's like not done with the role because like my mind just can't take it. (laughs)
0: Right now, personally, and Jim and I have disagreed on this before. I like the Man of Steel movie a lot. I like the Kryptonian visuals in the beginning. I thought they were kind of interesting. It was a different way of doing it, you know, and Russell Crowe's performance as his dad. I thought that was great and they did put the Jesus similarity in that movie when he was kind of elevated in a crucifix pattern when he was getting out of the Kryptonian ship and I liked the idea of Zod and him fighting. I thought it was cool that the city was just demolished because I think when Titans battle, I don't think they're really thinking about citizen safety. So personally, Ah. from a Greek mythology standpoint, makes way more sense to me than micromanaging every little person. Some of this is generational because a lot of the younger people, I think, don't mind that. Whereas a lot of the older people, readers from the 60s and the 50s, they want George Reeves and Christopher Reeves and to care about every kitten in the room that creates a conflict, almost a generational conflict, between people who are into it and people who don't like that movie. And there were comics from the eighties where Superman killed Zod. And oh, I want to
1: know that, but that's yeah. What and like, why are people freaking out about it? <laughs>
0: well, that, a lot of the people who read Superman that are from the sixties and and earlier hate that, but mm-hmm. a lot of the kids like me who read the later Superman Batman stuff didn't mind. So
1: yeah, and I also like. I mean, Amy Adams is older than Henry Cavill, and. I sort of didn't mind that she was like an older Lois Lane. I thought that that was, I liked that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and even in Batman versus Superman, a lot of people give that some hate. Really, I felt like the way everyone came together, I like Ben Affleck's performances. Batman also. Jim, let's hear your perspective. You do not like the fact that Superman killed Zod and that the city destroyed all the citizens' lives. Tell us what you think about that movie.
2: Yeah, and what you're saying is, Jim, you're old, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> and, I, and I reject that notion. <laughs> right, but first, let me go back to the Brandon Ruth one and talk about that for a minute. All because right. that's more interesting to me because of the Dark Knight films than Man of Steel is. So that one's interesting because that kind of does that same 9-11 thing that I talk about with the other one. In that this is a Superman who disappears and isn't part of 9-11. When he comes back, he's a surveillance guy. He's a peeping Tom in the way that the US is spying on his own people and on others. He is doing it. He's sitting out there watching and listening to Lois Lane and her boyfriend. Then he flies off into space and is listening to the world. And it's a very, very different Superman. I've never seen one where he's a voyeur, where he spies Mm -hmm. on his girlfriend that way. He's also ineffectual, I mean, at the end, and seems lost in a way that I think is a commentary to some degree, and it's, it's pretty interesting in that respect. He's got that same Jesus stuff as the Donner film because it is a love letter to the Donner film. you know. Right. So it's trying to do that, but it's Singer doing it. So it's Jesus up there on the screen, but a fetishized Jesus that's kind of into the physicality and beauty of it in a way that's almost like certain Renaissance eras of their representation of Jesus on the cross. That scene of Ruth up in the sky is both beautiful but it's beautiful in a you're pretty hot superman jesus and that's a weird thing and singer does that in a lot of his later films he gets where it's about attraction instead of about mythologizing it so that would be my comment on that okay Okay, man of steel (laughs) (laughs) i almost feel like it's boring to even talk about it i don't think it's generational superman doesn't kill is my view. And yeah, I I was raised with that notion, but what was it you said you were talking about before? Because
0: I brought up also when Superman first came out in 38, I mean, bad guys were dying because of him. So I use that as my, that it's okay that he kills sometimes.
2: Yeah, that's a prototype, but he revolves, the character becomes something different than that. And for me, he's the character that, the one character who would never kill because if he does that, then he's become a menace because of his power. He has greater responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. With the greatest power comes the greatest responsibility. And that includes not killing people.
1: I was saying, but then that leads into Batman versus Superman and why Bruce Wayne is so pissed with Superman right? because of like, he sees all the destruction and everything. So I mean, like, I know a lot of people didn't like, cause they're like, oh, they're killing all these regular people or whatever. But I just think that those two movies just work so well together. I actually was not a fan of Justice League, even though I love Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, but I did really like what Man of Steel did to introduce this Superman, and then moving into Batman versus Superman. I thought that that's why it worked.
0: Here's one reason I do think Batman versus Superman works. And it's like the comic where Batman, in a way, can humanize Superman. And I feel like him getting some kryptonite, punching Superman in the face over and over again for being so careless with humanity, I feel like that's, in a way, him keeping Superman grounded. So I'm not against Batman versus Superman like some people are.
1: Also, yeah. even if you don't like Man of Steel, you have to admit that Hans Zimmer's score is amazing. You have yeah, to admit
0: that. It. What do you think, Jim?
1: <laughs> to admit it.
0: it I admit that.
2: Yeah. It's okay, but that's oh, like God. saying that the play Lincoln went to was actually pretty funny and good. It didn't matter because at the end, Lincoln got killed. And, it, and to me, so yeah, the score is fine. Oh. But Todd <laughs> Kent is reprehensible in that film. Pod Kent says, maybe you should have let those kids drown. My Pod Kent, any Pod Ken in a right. rational world would never say that. Here's the two things I'll say about it, and then I'll leave it alone. <laughs> I want a Superman movie that my kid could watch, and I wouldn't shield him from it. And I would not let my son, and I let my son watch anything. You've let him watch the show Oz, haven't you, on HBO? No, I, I have <laughs> not, but that's... <laughs> but that's not a movie you know he doesn't watch sopranos either yet we're working our way through deadwood right now but anyway what i would say is i've read reports of kids watching just video of superman flying and then he does something reprehensible in that movie and it's not a movie I want my kid to see it's not the Superman I would want my kid to see. And Superman is a character that should be that. I mean, should be an all-ages experience. I agree totally about R-rated heroes and things, but I don't want Superman to be ruined. I don't want him floating over Lois in the bathtub looking like some kind of weird creep. I don't...
1: That seemed to be longer.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want Jimmy Olsen killed in the first couple of minutes and we turn out that he's a spy, a CIA agent. Right, right. It's just everything's so ugly. The world is so <laughs> ugly. When Martha Kent says, you don't owe these people nothing. I'm sorry. That's not the Mon Pod Kent that the mythos has if you wanted to make that movie do it like super like will you take or like kick ass or like alan moore did with watchmen <laughs> make up new characters but don't use superman in that ugly a way if you want to make an ayn rand style film about well, that's what know, he that did kind
0: of that's what Zack snyder you know, did because Zack snyder is yeah. an ayn randian and he put yeah. those some of those influences in his movies yeah
2: So So, make make Mr. A if you're going to do that, but don't (laughs) ruin Superman. And then I, I just want to say when I went to see it on Father's Day and I told this story a million times, I went to see the film on Father's Day because there's no film I can think of that honors my first Father's Day, by the way. And when I saw it and I went because it honors the mythos, honors fathers, both from a biological genetic way, but also from a raising you environmental way and some of us are lucky enough like me to have both be the same person but in superman he has those two images and they're so important to who superman is they're the ones together that combine and give us the great character that we have and in this one Jor-El is a scientist that for some reason can outfight all of the soldiers that are sent to arrest him. It makes no sense to me. And then you've got Pod Kent, maybe the dumbest man on the planet in terms of and most immoral man. If Superman can't <laughs> figure immoral. out how to save pa Kent in that scenario i mean the dog scene everything about it it's just the two fathers are just such a mess in that movie that i hate it and then there's zod and i just want to say i'm sitting there next to a young guy he's like 18 or 19 and maybe this is generational where you're talking about alex we both say fuck with such pleasure He's been waiting for two hours for somebody to snap a neck. It was like, what, what else you want? You want some good neck snapping. I said, fuck, and then went in the bathroom and cried. I, I <laughs> took me five minutes to come back, and I thought of not coming back, but I went back. But it physically wrecked me. That's what happened. So so just telling
0: you. Very violating experience, the way you had encountered that film. I came home thinking, Yeah, I was talking to my wife. I'm like, you know, I feel like they got him right. (laughs) Like they got Superman right. Because like that whole thing with the gravity machine and he's like, whoa, I don't know if I can stop this thing. And he's overcoming it with all his power. And that gravitas, let's throw that word out there, and him overcoming that and the music got to me. I like the Hans Zimmer music. So it affected me in a different way. So that being said, now
1: too because of Henry Cavill,
0: (laughs) right? And that's a whole other take. Is that Henry Cavill? That's
2: that's true. Totally fine. I hate the way Cavill is directed in these movies, but I don't think he is bad. I mean, he's physically fine,
1: right? And I like
2: Affleck. I think Affleck. Too bad that it's too bad Affleck got such lousy movies to be in because I thought he would have been a really good Bruce Wayne. Like you felt like the scripting could have been better, probably. My Batman, just like Superman doesn't kill, my Batman doesn't brand people. Right. I mean,
0: the brutality part of it. Okay, so now before we go to Marvel, I want to go over some of the deconstruction satire movies. And we have Special in 2006, directed by Hal Haberman and Jeremy Passmore with Michael Rappaport. And then we have Kick-Ass 2010 from John Romita Jr., Mark Millar, 2008 comic, directed by Matthew Vaughn. We have Super, also in the same vein as Kick-Ass with Rain Wilson. And directed by James Gunn, has Michael Rooker, you know, a lot of the Guardians of the Galaxy type of vibe, although it's not that genre at all. And then I'm going to add Deadpool to that list as far as superhero deconstruction, because in a way it kind of is and that it makes fun of itself. First, what does it mean when these kind of movies are being made where we now start deconstructing the genre, for one? And two, what do you guys think of these movies in general?
1: I mean, I love kick ass. I think that Chloe Grace Moretz and Nicolas Cage, I'm an Aaron Taylor Johnson are just so great in it. And again, did that movie come out, what? Did it come out in 2010? I mean, that was like another film that, again, people were going to the theater with their family and going to see like PG-13 rated superhero films. And this one is not one of those. This is really a kick-ass film where you have a 10-year-old girl getting, like, beat up. So I love, love, love Nicolas Cage so much as an actor. And I just thought that this film kind of set the bar for films, for future films like Deadpool, where they're like, we can have these fun scenes, but also, like, these really brutal, you know, R-rated scenes. I mean, I'd say... Kick-Ass is obviously maybe a little bit more serious than Deadpool, but I think that when you have those types of scenes in it, that's why I feel like we were able to get, you know, like an R-rated Deadpool and, you know, seeing some of these more violent superhero films too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So you feel like Kick-Ass and maybe that movie Super, I would put it in that category. They almost paved the way for a Deadpool to be made. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Jim? Tell us your take on these movies.
2: Well this is in genre theory there's like different cycles different phases you have the prototype phase then you have the classical phase and then you have like a baroque phase that's much more self-reflexive and this is in comic book movies we hit that phase around that time and so they were very aware of their own genre and they were playing with that genre in the way they were set up, in the way they were filmed, in the way the characters are represented and everything. And it culminates in Deadpool. But yeah, the others, and I would add Mystery Men, I would add Gunn wrote a film called Specials or Special that's different. And all of those are doing something that's playing with the genre and making us look at it in a self-reflexive way. I like all of them. What I would say is it's different, though. I'm glad you brought up Deadpool because you have those that are doing that. And then you have the other non-superhero superhero film that comes out after that, which is Logan. That's not doing it the same way. That's taking it where it removes the humor from it completely and makes it into a really serious superheroes film. And so it's split at this point where it's going in that very serious mode of Logan and to some degree Black Panther and those films. And then you've got this self-reflexive fun where you're breaking the third wall and you're doing things and that's like with Deadpool. I'm glad. I think it, there's needs to be that variety and this is an opportunity to, to have that variety. I assume that the Joker is going to go in that Logan model and we'll see where it goes. Ultimately, the genre has to run out of juice, I would think, and superhero on television, of course, is accelerating that. And you've got the same thing with that where you've got Umbrella Academy and you have... Doom Patrol as that self-reflexive playing with the genre, while at the same time, you've got more serious ones like the Titans, where it's playing it straight. It's an interesting time period in terms of looking at this as, as genre films, because they're doing something different from the classics that we were getting in that early 2000s and before that. So. I like most of these films. I like special a lot. I strongly recommend it. Mm -hmm. It's sort of watching if Scorsese had directed a superhero film. It's really, I can't say it's fun. It is funny, but it's pretty serious at the same time. That's probably my favorite of that period and the one that nobody knows. I like James Gunn films in general, and super is a dark, twisted view on it. I think more so a little less safe. A little less crowd pleaser than Kick Ass, but that's a good mm-hmm. film too. Deadpool, I never liked as a character very much in comics, but, but I liked the film.
0: Deadpool too, really, I feel deconstructs oh. the whole superhero thing, like in a way beyond the first one does. Where even when they put together a team and kill them off in two it's minutes, so
1: insane! It's yeah, so awesome. funny,
0: and it just kind of almost makes fun of even having a superhero team and how it is an endangerment spectacle with horrific consequences. Special is interesting. Okay, so I watched that yesterday and yeah, there's a grainy film quality. The way that character almost becomes a schizophrenic, delusional person, losing touch with reality, it almost has a taxi driver feel. And the way he becomes his own hero in his own mind, Jim made a mention of it almost like king of comedy. Super was really interesting. To me, because it first showed, one, how problematic it is to put on a costume and just start beating people in the head with a wrench in the street. It also showed how if you have a young sidekick, they can be totally corrupted by this sort of vigilante behavior because the sidekick he had, what Ellen Page, was getting so corrupted by the whole thing that she enjoyed murdering people. She got off on it so much that she forced herself sexually on Rain Wilson's character and made sure that if they put on the masks, then that means that he wasn't cheating on his wife. Just really weird concepts. And then when she finally gets shot in the head and killed, you're like, wow, that was child endangerment, and that whole thing was really horrible. And it paints Batman and Robin in this weird, negative, sociopathic light. So I thought that was really well done. Kick-Ass, I could watch that today, and I'd still like it just as much as the very first yeah. time I saw it. And I like the way Matthew Vaughn directs movies. I mean, I like Kingsman, and I like X-Men First Class. So uh,
2: oh my I love X-Men First Class. I, that, yeah, <laughs> that may be my favorite X-Men movie. I, oh I God, love that film.
1: Something. <laughs> yes,
2: there is an agreement
0: there, yeah. Well, yeah, because as a 60s period piece, it's perfect because those characters came out in the 60s, so it totally right. made sense. That's what do- I'm
2: saying about the Fantastic Four. When I saw that film, I thought, that's how I want to see my Fantastic Four relate, would be that kind of thing. And now that they're in the Marvel Universe... And it's because possible. of, which is a good segue to us talking about that, but because of the established history with Henry Pym and with S.H.I.E.L.D. and with things coming into the 60s, you can, and with Miss Marvel really setting the stage where she starts out as a 90s hero, you could do something where the Fantastic Four pops up their origin in the 60s, and then they just spend a couple of decades in the fandom zone or I mean, I was in the negative, negative zoning and, and come back. You could do something like that.
0: Oh yeah. So let's talk about the Marvel Studio, the MCU, the Marvel Studio films. I don't know if we would consider the Ed Norton Incredible Hulk movie as part of that, but Hulk yeah. and Iron Man are 2008 Robert Downey Jr. is at the end of that Incredible Hulk film so I think it is then all coming together with their different movies so Lauren give us your take on you know when you saw the first Iron Man film and how it evolves to Avengers Endgame why is Marvel Studios successful what are the ingredients of these movies that are making it so good
1: it's just the fact that this all started in 2008 and Robert Downey Jr. coming back after like what not acting for like a decade and he just like blew it out of the park. He literally is Iron Man and I think John Favreau is he just really did a great job and made this relatable and fun for I think both people of the comic books and people who have like not, was not familiar with the story of Iron Man at all you know like me and I think that the reason that I don't know like everyone always says like why are Marvel so much better than a lot of the DC films and I'm like I think it just really has to come down to just great screenwriting and director choices I mean I still obviously like a lot of the most of the DC films on my end but I mean with Marvel I think that it's just one of those special things that People started watching 11 years ago and just have been so excited to see what the next step is in this saga. And it ended up just working so well for both. I mean, people are just so emotionally invested in the story. And I think that's what really makes a great superhero film is getting people emotionally invested who didn't know the story prior to the movies. I really believe that a good portion of these fans that love the movies have not read any of the comic books. Right, at for now. sure. That's Most of like them. a huge testament to what Marvel and Kevin Feige have done. I really enjoyed the first Iron Man. I didn't love Iron Man 2. I really enjoyed Iron Man 3. But you have Robert Downey Jr. in this role and he's perfect throughout. And that's what is important and makes him one of the hearts of this saga and what makes it so special. Like I've said when I met you, I'm like I really don't think in my lifetime there's going to be a bigger movie than Avengers Endgame that I'm personally going to be seeing because right. I mean yeah, like Star Wars is big, we talked about that and like you know it's going to be big, but just the emotional investment that Avengers had and the Russo brothers have consistently done great films since Winter Soldier Kevin Feige should be, you know, giving them a hug every day because I really think that they're a huge reason why the movies have been consistently good through the end.
0: I mean Winter Soldier it felt like a Robert Redford movie from the 70s on steroids and it was so well done great story spy yeah. genre but the logistics of combining all the movie storylines into one cohesive two part yeah. stories of uh, Infinity War and Endgame I mean it's a huge logistical feat let alone just being good at directing and being good at Implementing the script and the production, it takes two minds to balance all those details. So,
1: like, think of the balance that every single character got in Infinity War. There wasn't one moment where I'm like, oh, I forgot what Star Lord was doing. Like, you literally, even though they had so many different storylines, you literally did not forget about any character in that two and a half hour long movie. And that is almost impossible.
0: It's hard. And that's the thing we're talking about Spider Man 3. It felt like it had too many villains and too many characters. But this movie, which right. had way more characters in it, none of it felt like there was too much of anything. It was perfectly executed.
1: Right, and like Josh Brolin being Thanos, I mean, he's such a great villain. I mean, we see villains all the time, like in Suicide Squad, where it's like, oh, like this villain wants to destroy the world. But with Thanos is, I'm just sick of villains like that. It's like, But with Thanos, it's like, He obviously wants to destroy half the world, but we understand why by going back through and like getting that backstory. And that is massively important. You have to have a good villain. Like there's literally so many things that need to be right in a superhero movie. Having a villain that is not boring and that you understand. That's why I thought Black Panther was so great because Killmonger, once you learn his backstory, you're like, wow, he is pissed. You know, he was supposed to be in Wakanda and he's not. Of course, it's like that doesn't justify the killing, but you understand watching them why they're doing what they're doing. He's right. right.
2: Killmonger is right about half of the things that he says. Not his way of getting there, but what he's saying is not wrong. That's what Marvel has managed to do is to give you at least... Uh, half a dozen good I mean really solid villains not all of them I mean that's still the weak spot in a lot of these films I mean in the Marvel films the heroes are perfect I couldn't care less about the Red Skull in that first movie in first Avenger it's okay you know he's all right but Loki is one of the great villains of anything you know I mean Just perfect. And Thanos, I didn't think that was going to work at all. I I mean, I thought that was just going to be kind of a CGI weird thing and uh, too much special effects, and that Brolin wasn't going to be able to carry it over into something interesting. And I was really wrong. It's one of the great performances in terms of these films.
1: I feel like you see Josh Brolin's face in that character. I mean, obviously, you do it through performance capture, but like you really see him in that role. Whereas, like, the Red Skull, you don't really see anything but I, I mean it's just a completely different type of performance
0: mm-hmm. i like hugo weaving me too uh, I like Hugo weaving know, too, and but- i like the red skull i mean i felt like they did portray the red skull from the comic that i know of but again the red skull in the comic is kind of one-dimensional so in a way they did get it right in that sense
1: <laughs> that's true i liked it when uh, he came back in endgame yeah, yeah was effective. I was like,
2: ooh. Although yeah. oh, they're not the same actor, though. It's
1: yeah. not the same actor. I'm surprised no. that Hugo like didn't come back, but I mean, who the actor was, though, I mean, they yeah. definitely did a smooth transition.
2: No, that
0: actor did a good job. I forgot his name. Hugo Weaving did make a comment that he hated being the Red yeah, Skull, he that he it. felt like it was <laughs> like this role that he hated doing, and he hates the genre, <laughs> and he puts a thousand percent in everything he does. Right. So I'm glad he did it that one time. Lauren, how do you feel about the Captain Marvel movie.
1: So I liked Captain Marvel. I didn't love it. I really love the nostalgia part of it. I love Goose the Cat. Brie Larson, I really like as an actor. I thought she was great in Room, 21 Jump Street, Don John, everything. I United States of Tarot, mm. Tony Flett. Like yeah. I've literally seen like all her work. I just don't know if in Captain Marvel, she either one she wasn't fully comfortable in the role or two she just decided to play the character that way it almost like when I was watching the movie it felt like she got more comfortable in the role as the movie went on I just thought that the performance was very one note and I was a little disappointed in that but I mean I love the background I love the Stanley cameo with the mall rat script mm-hmm. I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan so I loved that and I mean I liked Brie Larson in the role but like considering you know some of the other actors who have played these leading superheroes and like this is like her origin story and I love origin stories I typically do like the first film of a trilogy at the best because I love watching that origin story so much and I didn't love it I mean I think I gave it like a three and a half out of five like Mm -hmm. I said she gets more comfortable as it goes on I just didn't love the movie as a whole but I liked her better in Endgame like I think that she worked well more with the ensemble I actually don't really know what happened with Captain Marvel I think it could have been like really great I don't know if I think they had like two directors on it I'm not there was just some things that were missed and I don't know if three just decided to play it that way or I, I just I don't know but I definitely did not love it
0: yeah, and I was kind of in that camp cuz I like the Captain Marvel character. I like Carol Danvers. But it's funny, my right. wife and my mom just kind of said the same things you said that it yeah, was exactly. like they like Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman cuz she had so much emotional range in her face she's in a that Kree. particular movie. She's Lizette. not
2: going to have emotion. She's Cree. She's ra she's like she thinks she is. She's not going to be an Amazon. She's going to be a Cree, and Cree yeah. don't really signal a whole lot of emotion. It comes out later as it progresses i will say about endgame that was done first and she didn't have a sense of that character at all she hadn't even read i don't think she'd read the script even for the captain marvel film so she was bluffing her way through that film but i think she does a good job in it but she's finding out who captain marvel is in the captain marvel film but she literally is finding out who she is in that movie. So I think some of it is not giving her credit that she's evolving into becoming a human being in that movie. So the performance is an evolution in a lot of ways in terms of that. I also think it's one of the better Marvel films in terms of... I think if you're not doing politics in a superhero film you're not making a great superhero film. I think superhero films are about politics, just like Westerns were in the 1950s and the 1960s. It becomes something more important. And that's a film that I think in dealing with immigration and humanity and kindness and what it's talking about, I think it's a very, for me, it's a very personal film. I love it because it's about treating all people with respect. And that's what that film does. No, I get it. Alex, he's saying yeah, that. Like, I mean, it's
0: yeah. such a- well, it's because I am an immigrant and I didn't care about that aspect of the film at all. <laughs> so I get it. I guess we'll give Brie a third chance <laughs> to see yeah. if she'll fulfill my expectations. But Carol Danvers in the comics has emotion. So again, I'm, I just look at it
2: a little bit differently. But Well, she's not raised by the Cree. It's a different origin story.
1: I was kind of surprised when they picked Brie to begin with because I always pictured Carol Danvers as somebody like Charlize Theron, who is older.
0: Yeah, that's
1: what I thought. Or like even like a Jessica Chastain. I mean, like Charlize Theron literally looks just like her. I don't even care about the age thing, really, but that's who I thought that they were going to, it would have been cool for them to pick like an older actress versus someone who's like, you know, 29, 30 or whatever. But Brie was coming off of her Oscar win. And, you know, I'm not too surprised that they like ended up picking her. But yeah, I mean, I like Brie as an actor. I just Honestly, I thought the performance was just like a little boring.
2: Mm-hmm. Sorry. What you. did y'all you think of <laughs> Sam Jackson in it? In the age technique and
1: it hit the de aging on his face looked amazing. For yeah,
0: My only thing from a medical perspective: when the cat scratched his eye, I would be running to an ER. I you know. know what I mean? Not like dancing in the kitchen, like, like, and not having it treated get some antibiotic drops at least.
1: <laughs> oh, wow.
0: Actually, I actually like the story. I enjoyed it. And I do like that the Cree was solidly introduced just for, from a sci-fi perspective. I like all that. I do think that it was kind of interesting the way they kind of flipped the switch that the Skrulls were the good guys. And I actually
1: thought Ben Mendelssohn was the more interesting character. Yeah. Oh, me yeah. too. Yeah. I loved him I, in there. I
0: mean, Again, I, I liked a lot of things about it. And I'm not bashing it at all. And I like the Black Panther film, the more recent ones. They're throwing some of that polar. Political stuff in which makes it interesting and food for thought i agree with those takes on it Mm -hmm. before we end the podcast do you feel like there's any particular comic book film or idea that we missed out on
1: we didn't talk about dark phoenix that came out earlier this year that was just fine i like fassy but like i love fast thunder and he was the best part of it but the movie overall definitely wasn't as bad as critics said but it definitely could have been better
0: would you consider logan to be the real ending to the x-men movies
1: I know, that was so good. Yeah. Yeah,
2: it is for me. I have something, I would say, non-superhero comic book films. I'd give a couple of recommendations for people. One would be Cemetery Man, which very few people have seen. It's based on Dylan Dog, I think, and and some other Italian comic books. It's just such a bizarre, weird horror film. But just excellent, bizarre film should be watched. Uh Danger Diabolique by Mario Bava is just fantastic visually. Bob's a great director who did films like Planet of the Vampire, but also did this adaptation of the Diabolique comics called uh-huh. Danger Diabolique that's really worth watching. The other ones from an American perspective, I would say, I mean, some of the obvious ones like Ghost World, and I like American Splendor an awful lot, the Harvey oh, D. Yeah. Carr film. I think that's just a fantastic movie. Uh-huh. And I really like the Tom Tanks movie, Road Perdition. I love that. A lot, of people yeah. don't, a lot of people don't even think of that as a comic book, but it is. And that's a good film. Yeah, that's
0: that's, that's, that's a ones great I film. Great and, that,
1: film. And,
0: and when I first saw it, I think I just thought of it as like a good crime movie. But right. but no, it's actually based on a comic. It was awesome, and Tom Hanks' performance was awesome. Everyone in that movie was casted perfectly, I thought.
2: Yeah, no, it's that it's based awesome. on a comic, but it also plays with a different comic because there's a lot of that that borrows from Lone Wolf and Cub too. Oh yeah, okay. Think uh-huh. about it.
1: That's interesting. I'll have to go back and watch those other, because I haven't seen any of, I've seen American Splendor, but I haven't seen the other ones that are comic book movies, but also not based, that don't have a superhero involved. So I'll definitely check those out.
0: Yeah. Lauren, thanks so much for joining Jim and I today. We had a great time.
2: <laughs> uh, thanks, Lauren. I'm sure if we kept talking, we have more in agreement than just X-Men First Class. <laughs>
1: yeah, I was going to say, just X-Men First Class.
2: <laughs> you both are film
0: experts. So this was mentally stimulating For me, from that angle, I was a film minor in college, so it was fun talking to you both about this today. This has been another fun episode here at the Comic Book Historian Podcast. I'm Alex Rand with my co host, Jim Thompson. Thank you, Lauren. You can see her at dcfilmgirl.com and on her Twitter and Instagram handle, DCFilmGirl. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, guys.
1: It was so much fun.